The reading today is from Isaiah chapter 1. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adler's den. Here ends the reading. The Gospel on the second Sunday of Advent is from Matthew, the third chapter. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan. And they were baptized with him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestors. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, 
and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The word of God, the word of life. Let's pray. God, we showed up today and we come as we are here at church and also online. And we pray that your word has that power to speak and to enter our hearts and to help us see hope where it feels like there is none. So Spirit of God, speak to us now. Amen. I receive an email each week from my mom's hospice nurse, and I noticed right away that the update is always typed in capital letters. After each visit, the nurse documents her findings, noting changes in demeanor and mobility, food intake, continence, sleep, and blood pressure. All the details that are noted mark the process of dying. This is needed for Medicare, of course, to prove that end-of-life care services are needed. Each week as I read the update that pings into my inbox on Thursday morning, all written in capital letters, death shouts a word. What's shouting at you these days? I think we all come with some kind of yelling in our ears, a headline of some sorts to remind us how hard this life is. Maybe for you it's a personal struggle right now with you or your family. Or maybe it's the daily weight of divisiveness and inequity. Often and regularly the world shouts, you are not enough, holding up a mirror of success and perfectionism as the model that none of us can ever live up to. The aches among the community need to shout too. There was a front page story in the paper this week about food insecurity in our cities and how the demand on food shelves cannot keep up with supply. Not having enough to eat is a daily crisis for so many families. It's not in someone else's backyard, it's in ours. Prism, the food shelf that supports the neighborhood where Mount Olivet dwells, was one of the food shelves mentioned in this story. So if you were expecting gentle words of consolation today on the second Sunday of Advent, you will not hear them from John the Baptist. Capitalization is not part of the Bible's original languages, but if it were, I imagine John's spoken words would be capitalized because it feels like he is shouting. If you prefer to skip these verse, verses on the way to the manger, you're out of luck because all four of the Gospels have John proclaiming a baptism of repentance before Jesus can take stage, which should awaken us 
that God wants us to hear what John has to say. So in the keyboard of Advent, we are in caps lock this week. John's message is loud, but it's also invitational. He is trying to get the attention of the world to herald that what used to be is no longer. The page has turned, the world has shifted, and we better awaken to the news. John, in his curmudgeonly way, is speaking not in the gloss of marble temples or well-decorated sanctuaries, but in the wilderness where things are wily and unkept. His voice and woolly body nod to the prophets of old and proclaim a change and a possibility. Something is different because Jesus is coming. And did you notice in this reading that people perk up to this message? They leave the city to find John and even the Pharisees and Sadducees, the one who hold the book and power on holy living, come to be dunked in the murky waters of the Jordan, to be splashed in a new word and a way to be. They come to dare to believe that there is more than the world at hand. John says, repent. I'm always careful of churchy words because they sound so formal, impossible to understand, let alone practice. We hear repent, I think, and think it means confess, like we just did, to name what is wrong. But sometimes we don't know exactly what is wrong. Instead, we're stuck in this loop of disappointment and high expectations that we cannot meet. Complacency and weariness all swirl together. Or sometimes we admit what is wrong, but we do nothing to change it. To repent means to set in a new direction with hope that the future can be different from the past. Repent means to admit your way might not be the only way or the right way. Repent means to make room for possibility. You will find repentance a lot when Jesus encounters people in his ministry. The most impactful for me is the Easter story in the Gospel of John where Mary is weeping and so sad that she mistakes the resurrected Jesus for a gardener. It is not until Jesus speaks her name, Mary, then she is able to consider the possibility that death does not get the final word. To hear that she is a part, even in her sadness of the resurrection revealed, and that there is more to this life than where she's at. In that moment of repentance, faith is born again. 
and hope dawns a new day. What if Advent is a time to be reminded that this life cannot be lived perfectly and that this life is not to be placed on hold, that we all need space for healing, for repairing, and the opportunity to begin again. You see, Advent is the inbreaking that God's love through Jesus is here and coming. We need to be reminded of this all the time. We need to repent. I listened to a couple this week named the struggle of their relationship. And then they looked at me and asked, Pastor Beth, what difference does faith make when we're navigating challenges in our marriage? There is not a simple fix. Human relationships are complicated, and reconciliation and forgiveness and healing take vulnerability and guts. But there is a promise that the past does not need to define the future. We are having conversations this morning between services about racism and the blind spots we all have who are white. Leaders among us won't give up on inviting the community into the essential conversations to learn and become aware. It's really hard work that only can be done in community. And they show up because they are called in hope to learn and to begin to change the patterns of the history of this country. We have been talking a lot about paying off our mortgage. It could feel simply like a transaction, but it is something that begun with a family's generosity, a first step that they were able to do to free the church from debt. All of us have been invited and are needed to be part of contributing to this payoff because we truly believe God is calling us to see a new possibility, engage with it, one that we couldn't do if we continue to hold this debt. We are trusting and we are being called to extend our mission in this specific way. Where do you see repentance embodied? May the church, in the weaving of our own personal lives and in community acts, continue to repent in hope, not only in this space, but in the wilderness of the world. Frequently, the hospice nurse will include a few sentences in the weekly updates typed in lowercase letters at the end of the email, sharing something my mom shared or a connection that was made during that visit. It is at the end of the clinical details that these free-form words come. As death has its way, 
life breathes and still interrupts. Even in death, there's stories of life. Through the witness of a hospice nurse or John the Baptist, the message of hope is spoken. Hear this today. There is room for healing, for repairing, for working through, because the presence of God is here, right now, and calling us ahead. In the wildness of this life, a voice cries out, repent, believe, because there's still fruit to bear. Thanks be to God. Amen.